Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come and worship you. We pray, Lord, that our worship might be a fragrant offering to you. We offer ourselves, Lord, as living sacrifices in your service. Lord, help us to hear your word today. We pray and ask for your spirit to encourage us to Draw us in to what you want us to hear and know. Help us to not just be people who hear your word, but be people who also do it, who apply it in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if uh, any of you know or have heard of Tony Campolo. He's a a Christian, uh, well-known Christian speaker and Baptist pastor in the U.S. Uh, probably a bit, little bit dated now, but um, really funny guy, really good communicator. Anyway, um, and really, really a uh, someone who really brings often a challenge to particularly to young people. Anyway, one day he uh, he was uh, in. He was telling a story of a, about an alcoholic man named Joe who was miraculously converted uh, at the Bowery Mission in New York uh, a number of years ago. Joe was known all around the Bowery district uh, basically as a man who was living on borrowed time. Uh, he was constantly drunk and, and as a result he was homeless and derelict And um, one day Joe, though, was converted and everything about him changed. He became one of the most caring people at the mission. Joe would hang out out in the main hall each night and he wouldn't shy away from doing anything. There was no job that Joe wouldn't do. He would clean up vomit, he'd clean up urine, he'd help other drunks if they were sort of... uh, in a really poor condition, he'd help clean them up. There was nothing that he wouldn't help doing. So one night, though, at, uh, at the mission, as one of the pastors was actually giving the message, they gave a message each night uh, to the usual crowd of men who were living really on the margins of life, uh, one man actually responded to the pastor's call. And he looked up at the pastor and then he came down the very front and he, and he knelt down and he began to cry out, asking God to help him change his life. And he, he started shouting over and over again, Oh God, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Now the pastor leaned over to him and he said, Son, I think you, you mean... Make me like Jesus. And the man looked up at him and said, Is he like Joe? 
Sounds kind of obvious to say, doesn't it? But Christians and churches are meant to be like Jesus. We're meant to reflect Jesus to the community in which we live. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. We can point to many examples of people and churches, even entire populations in history who have called themselves Christian, yet who are nothing actually like Jesus in all the essential areas. And extreme, at, at the extreme end, we have groups like the Ku Klux Klan who, who, uh, who promote extreme racism in the name of Jesus. Another example would be apartheid in South Africa that was for many years upheld by the Dutch Reformed Church. Apartheid was a system of institutional segregation of people according to ethnicity and, and the colour of their skin. And there are many, many other groups as well that have done this sort of thing. But we shouldn't get the idea that it's just these extreme images of Jesus uh, that are warped. Christians and churches need to be constantly assessing uh, what they're reflecting to the community and the world around them. And we do too. Today, more than ever before, people are deciding what they like and what they don't like about Jesus, what they don't like or do like about Christianity. And some people are actually co-opting their version of Jesus to their cause, to their lifestyle, to their view of the world, even their way of doing church. So some popular images of Jesus that are influencing churches today include the Jesus who meets our needs. This version of Jesus sees him as primarily a dispenser of health or wealth and things that we need, a sort of religious genie type Jesus. Another version of Jesus that's popular, particularly in Western contexts like Australia, is the middle class Jesus. This Jesus promotes middle class values. People follow this version of Jesus because he fits with their chosen lifestyle and promotes nothing extreme. You know, all things in moderation, including downplaying the radical cause of Jesus to discipleship. Another popular image is the baby in a manger Jesus. This Jesus is cute and cuddly and draws out sentimentality in people and uh, particularly around the time of Christmas. But this Jesus offers no relevance to the rest of life because he doesn't bring any challenges and therefore is seldom engaged with apart from at Christmas time. Another popular image is the Da Vinci Code Jesus. For those who know the film and the book by Dan Brown, uh, the movie was starring Tom Hanks, so this, this version of Jesus uh, sees Jesus as only human and not divine. It sees Jesus as primarily just a teacher of ethics and morals, a good example to us, but not someone who deals with the issues that actually separate us from God and one another and, 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 and deals with our own brokenness and evil. There are other versions of Jesus, of course, more personalised versions. How many times have you heard someone tell you their own version of spirituality, including what they like or dislike about God? But in order for us to be a church in our community that's on mission with God and that sees 
is actually seeing people's lives transform because that's what we were on about. We can't just have our own image of Jesus. We can't have our own particular version of Christianity. We need to have an authentic image of Jesus that's reflected in our lives individually and as a community so that people can encounter him in us and actually be transformed by the Holy Spirit so they can be like Jesus as well. But this leads to the question then is, such as questions such as what is the correct image of Jesus? And uh, why is it important that we grasp uh, an authentic view of Jesus? And, and how do we actually become like him today? First, let's uh, look at the importance of becoming like Jesus. The fact is, uh, you, you and I, all of us, are becoming like something or someone, no matter whether you are religious or not. We're all actually influenced by many things. In Psalm 115, the, the psalmist says that people become, become like the idols that they worship. And this was the case with the Israelites. There's a well-known story in, in, uh, in the book of Exodus in which uh, Moses goes up the mountain, doesn't he, to get the Ten Commandments. And uh, while he's up on Mount Sinai talking with God, the Israelites are down below... <laughs> Um, becoming quite impatient. Where's Moses? Who's going to lead us? And so they asked Aaron, his brother, some good brother Aaron is, isn't he? Make us, an, make us a God to lead us forward to the promise, promised land. This chap Moses, we don't know where he's gone. So Aaron, I love this way that Aaron describes this. Well, I just threw this gold into the fire and out popped this golden calf. It was amazing. And once the golden calf was made, they began to worship it. And then what happened? People threw off all restraint and they began to indulge in revelry. And so when Moses came down the mountain, he basically saw people running wild. We become what we worship we become like what we give our attention to. But the thing is that this, doesn't, this phenomenon doesn't just apply to idols. It can also occur in a positive way as well. You see, after the golden calf incident, God invited Moses back up on the mountain to complete writing the Ten Commandments. And Moses, when he was asked to come up and uh, do that, he asked God to give him a special revelation of himself, something that would strengthen him, something that would actually uh, encourage him and empower him for his role as their leader. And so God told Moses that he would do this in a limited way. He wouldn't be able to show him, he wouldn't be able to stand, you know, Moses wouldn't be able to stand face to face with God because that would actually uh, be too much for him. And so God invited Moses up and made him sit in this hollow of a rock while God passed by with all his glory of, of visible and Moses got to see the back of God and even that was a really powerful experience for Moses. And then Moses continued to stay up on the mountain for another 40 days and 40 nights while he chiseled out the tablets of stone, on the tablets of stone, those, uh, those Ten Commandments. And when he'd finished, he came down. 
But he didn't realise that his face was radiant. It was literally glowing. And, and the reason that it was glowing is because he'd spent time in the presence of God and his face actually reflected God's glory. When Moses rocked up in camp, it must have been one of those really awkward moments. He turns up and his face is shining like the moon. <laughs> Everyone's trying to look elsewhere, you know. Hi, Moses. Yeah, good to see you. Some people would have looked at the ground. Others would have nudged one another, you know. You tell him. No, you tell him. I'm not going to tell him. Moses finally sees his own reflection probably in a tin plate or something. He's just freaked out by it. And uh, it was the biggest case of God burn that anyone had ever had. His face was so radiant that he actually had to put a veil over it to stop people running a mile. What had happened to Moses? Well, the simple thing is that he'd spent time with God and he reflected that. He reflected his glory. And everyone saw, when everyone saw him, they realised that he'd been with God. You couldn't be in Moses' presence and not notice the mark of God that God had left on his life. And this gave the people confidence to, to follow and to trust Moses as a leader and to listen to the instructions that he was giving them. Now we can read that story or hear that story and think, oh, well, that's a bit weird. <laughs> how, how does that relate to me? So what? Well, what we need to know is that the phenomenon that we become like what we worship and what we give our attention to is actually still alive and well. You see, we can see that in our own society today, but in some not so good ways. We may think, you know, that we're pretty cool and we're pretty urbane today and we think, oh, well, you know, stone idols and wood idols, no, no one, how can they impact us today? You know, that's something in the past, isn't it? But what we worship today are not just things of stone and wood and metal, are they? Today, consumerism is our chief idol. We buy and consume things to give us meaning, identity, community, purpose and hope. We have a hunger for things, believing that they'll give us what we want and what we need in life. Self is another sort of idol that we worship. We've, we've, we've made ourselves into gods. We've deified ourselves. We've, we've become the sole authority on our lives. And we now measure, we are now the measure that we use for ethics, for morals, for, for guidance. Which I don't know about you, but I find a really scary thing. The result of this is not a sharp, sudden, obvious spiral into revelry as, as was with the people when they worshipped the golden calf. But our spiral is slower and it's largely going undetected. But the end is no less catastrophic as we give ourselves over to pleasure-seeking and, and, and uh, pleasure-seeking where our self is trapped in bondage to to the mass marketers and the shopping malls and our own views of the future. We shouldn't be naive, though, about the power of becoming like what we give ourselves to. 
And we all give ourselves to something or someone and we reflect those things and their values in our lives. We might not be fully aware of it, but we do. And so the obvious, this obviously has implications for us individually, but it also has, I believe, great significance for us as a church, as a community, as a faith community. As a community of Jesus followers, we're, we're actually we're reflecting to our neighbours, our relatives, our friends, our work colleagues, what we worship and what we give ourselves to every day. But how does Australian society see the church today? What are we reflecting to our community? Well, according to the 2017 Faith and Belief in Australia report put out by McCrindle Research, the top four issues that put people off the church are the sexual abuse of children in churches, violence and wars done in the name of religion, hypocrisy, that's Christians not practising what they preach, judging others, Christians acting self-righteously about faults of others but not addressing their own. A friend of mine uh, who I'm actually in a dog walking group with, it's an older, older lady, she recently talked to me about her own faith journey. In fact, she's, uh, we've been having some really serious conversations because she's actually very seriously ill. She's actually moving towards the end of her life. And we're talking about the church and she said to me, Ian, I was brought up in uh, such and such a church. It was so rigid, so harsh. If I'm honest, she said, from my experience, I think that the church is beep, beep, awful. But then she said, but I think Jesus is awesome. And that's the tragedy of our time. There's a disconnect between Jesus and his church that's actually not meant to be there. The tragedy of our time is that there are many people who think that the church is beep, beep, awful. And because of this, they'll never actually get to know how awesome Jesus is or understand what God has done for us through him. You probably know people who think that the church is beep, beep, awful. The church is meant to reflect Jesus even more profoundly than Moses reflected the glory of God. And we, we can do this because we, we've actually encountered God and we have God's spirit living in us. That's how we can do it in a much more profound way. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul challenged accusations that his own authority and teaching were subpar because he didn't have the right image of what they thought a Christian uh, apostle should be. But Paul didn't go around then and big note his credentials. He didn't try and talk himself up. What he actually said was, instead he said, he told the Corinthians that they themselves are his credentials. He didn't point to, you know, point to some sort of certificate on the wall. No, no church planner, wonderful church planner. They are his recommendation. They are the evidence of the power of the gospel that he was proclaiming. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. He says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by 
everyone. Who reads it? Everyone. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. It was evident to Paul that Jesus' image, his nature, his character, his values, his ethics, his love, had been written in their lives. It wasn't perfect, but Jesus' image was still evident in them. And so this shows that the phenomenon of reflecting what we worship was at work also in the Corinthians as it was in the Israelites and also in Moses. And so the good news, though, for us is that what happened to the Corinthians is also what will happen to anyone and everyone who spends time with Jesus. But what image of Jesus will we reflect to the community around us? What image of Christ are we currently reflecting? That's what we need to ask ourselves. What image of Christ are we currently reflecting? But it's not just a matter of whether we will reflect Jesus or some idol to the world, is it? It's actually much more nuanced than that. You see, as we know, there are different images of Jesus and different versions of Christianity that are actually being reflected to the world. And so Jesus wants people, his people, to reflect an authentic image of him. When Jesus was conducting his earthly ministry, he didn't want people to co-opt him into their own drama. He didn't want them to make him the figurehead of their own religion or their own political movement for their own cause or their own lifestyle. Jesus was really vigilant about this. In fact, people in his own synagogue in Nazareth at the start of his ministry, they actually cheered him on when he got up and read from, the, from this passage in the book of Isaiah, which talked about the benefits of the Messiah, the Messiah for the Jews. Yeah, Jesus, go for it. Yeah. But then he went on. To his second point, <laughs> he added two more stories from 1 Kings and 2 Kings, which talked about God showing mercy for non-Jews. And they went ballistic because this wasn't part of their own religious playbook. Jesus reminded people in Nazareth that Elijah was sent by God to feed the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And then Jesus added another story about Elisha who was involved in the healing of the leprous official called Naaman. And what these two people had in common was that they were both recipients of God's mercy, but they were also members of a community who the Jews hated and thought were outside of God's love and mercy. Arch enemies of Israel. Why did Jesus choose to tell these two stories at the start of his ministry? Didn't he do Communication 101? Didn't he know that you're meant to introduce controversial issues only after you've built a strong supporter base? Here he is at the start of his ministry by telling these two stories. What was he thinking? Well, Jesus picked these two stories about people whom his audience would have hated and thought were outside of God's love and mercy and grace because he wanted to challenge their image of him right from the very beginning. You see, they were no different to others 
in that they also wanted to make Jesus fit their own agenda. Friends, Jesus won't be hijacked. He won't speak for someone, someone else's ideals. He won't allow his church to grow and prosper if it doesn't reflect his image. And this was the situation with some of the churches that are talked about in the book of Revelation. In uh, Revelation 3, Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea. And it's a challenging message because Jesus says that they are neither hot nor cold and that he's about to spit them out of his mouth. But it gets worse. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. And so this verse, Revelation 3.20 is actually depicted in this famous painting by William Holman Hunt titled The Light of the World. You might have seen it. But The Light of the World painting shows something very disturbing, as does the verse Revelation 3.20. It's often used to, uh, to encourage people to invite Jesus into their hearts, isn't it? But, but uh, this verse is not about personally accepting Jesus. It tells us actually where Jesus is in relationship to the church in Laodicea. And where is Jesus in Revelation 3.20? And where is he in this painting? He's standing outside of the church. He's knocking on the door. In the painting, there's only one handle in, and it's on the inside of the door. And so the inference is that the Laodiceans have not let Jesus in. He's excluded from his own fellowship, which is exactly why they are neither hot. Why they're not hot, and it's the reason why the church of Laodicea does not exist today. The church of Laodicea, Sia had hijacked Jesus. They'd co-opted him for their own agenda and as a consequence had become neither hot nor cold and they were not reflecting an authentic image of Jesus to the community around them. Instead, they were displaying an anemic Jesus without power. And friends, that goes, the same goes for any other image of Jesus, doesn't it? Whether it be the, the Jesus who meets our needs, the middle-class Jesus, the baby in a manger Jesus, the Da Vinci Code Jesus, the judgmental Jesus. None of these Jesus will do because none of them are authentic and none of them will restore the brokenhearted or challenge the proud or reach out to the outcasts and the wayward or to the outsiders and to the self-sufficient. We want to reflect Jesus in the community and the community we live in needs us to do that authentically. So what can we do? Well, Paul tells us how we can reflect the image of Christ when he says, he says this beautiful verse in 3.18, he says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
Friends, it's, it's by contemplating the Lord's glory that we'll be transformed in, into his image. And how do you contemplate the Lord's glory? Well, you do this by spending time with Jesus so that you really know him. You can do this by reading about him in the Gospels. You can read about him, you can listen to the Gospels. There are so many different ways to actually hear the Gospels these days. You need to listen and read so that you can see what energises Jesus, what moves him to compassion. You need to keep reading and listening until you understand what Jesus teaches, what he rejects, what he likes, what he dislikes. It's only by reading and rereading the Gospels or listening to them if you find it hard to read, that you'll get to see Jesus from every angle, which is what we need because if we don't see him from every angle, we'll co-opt him into our own particular version, our own cause, our own play, and put him in a, in a prison of our making. As I was preparing this message, I was trying to think of one story one story from the gospel that would sum up Jesus for you. But as I reflected, I thought, well, there's a problem right there, you see. You can't, Jesus can't be summed up with one story or one incident. And when we try to do that, we make Jesus one or two dimensional and we settle for a caricature of Jesus that's way too shallow when we, what we really need is we need to embrace him. We need to embrace Jesus in his fullness. We need to, we need to feel the full amp, impact of Jesus. We need to see Jesus as the God-man, the kingly prophet, the healer of diseases, the forgiver of sin, the saviour, the reconciler, the friend of sinners, of prostitutes, of tax collectors and cheats, the lover of the lowly and the marginalised, the friend of the Pharisee and the friend of the wealthy the stiller of waves and storms, the feeder of the 5,000, the one who has the power to raise the dead to life, the one who, give, who goes where the de demonic people live and sets them free. We need to see Jesus as the one who stops and touches leprous people, lepr people, women with bleeding disorders who others have rejected. We need to see him as the one who can debate with a scholar about the things of God, yet who can tell a story, a simple story that even the simplest person can understand. We need to see Jesus as a turner over of tables in the temple, the one who gives his life away, the one who's crucified, the one who's risen. We need to see him as the beginning and the end. We need to see him as the party goer, the one who turns water into wine, the head of the church, the image of the invisible God, and so much more. Friends, if you want to reflect Jesus to your friends, your family, if, you, if we want to reflect Jesus to our community, then we need to spend time with him by reading about him in the Gospels and by talking to him in prayer. And as you do this, God, God's spirit will make, him, make, make you like him. Jesus said so in, Romans, in John 15, 26. He said, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will, make, he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. We'll be transformed into the image of Christ. It's a promise. 
Some days it might f- you might not feel like you're being transformed, but it will happen as we spend time with Jesus. I'm your pastor, and sometimes on a Monday morning, I don't feel much like Jesus. But I know the promise of Scripture is that I'm being transformed by him, and as I spend time with him, it impacts me and challenges me and by his spirit transforms me. John says in his first letter that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Are you seeing him as he is today? As, a, as we seek to be a church that's on mission. I want to invite the band to come up now. We need to reflect Jesus to the community in which we live. Unless we reflect Jesus, we will go the way of the church of Laodicea. And the first thing that happened to the church of Laodicea is that they became irrelevant. And the second thing that happened to Laodicea is eventually they ceased to exist. What, there, what therefore do we need to do to avoid that? Well, we need to be open and allow Jesus to challenge our current image of him or the images that we have of him. We need to be constantly asking ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus tackle this, given what we know of him? And we need to ask him to show us. Friends, Jesus is not dead He's alive. We act sometimes like he is dead, but we need to invest more time in knowing Jesus as a community and invest time listening to him, seeking to be directed by him in what we do and how we engage with the community about us. Thanks, Chris.